Hey folks, this is the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. If you're a longtime listener of this show, you know that sometimes we break the format, and instead of having one pastor speak for the entire sermon time during church service, we invite three different folks to all answer one question or topic in their own way. So this past week we did that. We're following the pattern of our friends at The Bridge, Mission USA in urban Chicago, who are a mission organization that we support and love, and they do this every single Tuesday. So we do this sometimes. This week, our question or topic was this, what is something true about Jesus that you have needed to be true in your life? And can you show me from the scriptures that it's true for me as well? You are in for a treat, my friends, this week. Prepare to hear some amazing answers to that question or topic from our friends Eric, Austin, and Janet. Give it up for Eric Snyder, everybody. Thank you, Lee. Uh, Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Chapter 17, we're going to look at, very briefly, the uh, last two verses of that chapter, verses 25 and 26. When Lee asked that question of me, something true about Jesus that I personally needed to be true, my immediate, I mean, I'm thinking the Sunday school answer is that I needed Jesus to forgive me of my sins, but that isn't what came to my mind first. Let's look at, uh, starting in verse 25, Jesus is praying, he's with his disciples, it's an amazing prayer, he just, there's a lot that's revealed here. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they, his followers with him, they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. In, in Jesus' mission on the earth, in this chapter in particular, we see that it's not, it's not peripheral, it's central, that his, his mission was to reveal who God the Father is to us, who he is, and what he thinks, and what he feels about us. And why is this important to me? Um, my sister and I, we, we grew up in a very isolated, very rural uh, coal mining town in West Virginia. It was far from everything. And my dad was not a coal miner. He was, um, he was, in the, he was a merchant marine. And he sailed all over the world constantly. And we'd get these exotic postcards from everywhere in the world. And, and he would be with us for about three months at a time. And then he would go away from anywhere from three to six months. And he would come back for three months and he would go away. And I remember as a little boy, I remember many times I would cry myself to sleep thinking, where's my dad? Why can't my dad be around? Uh, And when he would come back, you know, my sister and I, we had this idealized version of this world traveler in our minds and he would come back and, and I wanted to impress him so badly. 
And uh, he, was, he was hard to impress. He was freakishly strong. Uh, he would hunt deer with a, a recurve bow. That's a bow that doesn't have any pulleys on it. That, that would be too easy. And uh, he, would, he could shoot uh, the cap of a milk carton without a, a, a rifle scope from incredible distances. And he was an amazing fisherman. And uh, I wasn't good at any of these things. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't be good at the things my dad valued. Now, you know, Proverbs says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And my dad never physically abused me or did anything like that, but he had, he had some killer words to say. Uh, some of the things that, that would stick in my mind is once I, he was working on a car and, and very frustrated. And he said, Eric, can you go into the garage and, and get me a crescent wrench? Terror. I don't know what a crescent wrench is. And I, I don't want to ask because I don't want to disappoint. So I'm thinking, oh, I got to get this right. So I went in there and I grabbed something and I gave it to him. And he said, you idiot, don't you know what a crescent wrench is? And he would say things like, you know, Eric, he's going to do wonders and he's going to Crap blunders, only he didn't say, he didn't use the word crap. Um, I got to spend time with my dad in his final days, and he had become this, uh, you know, emaciated old man. And, you know, when I was in my 30s, in my 40s even, I, whenever I got to spend, see him, it was rarely, I always would think, Dude, man, he could still kick my butt, you know? He's just powerful. But then when I, I got to spend him in his last days, I saw what he had become. And, you know, for the first time I realized, you know, I, I think I can take him, you know? <laughs> no, actually, the first, it was the first time I realized I could see him as a little boy and how he had been wounded by his father. His father was an alcoholic, and he had physically abused him. He ran away from home at a very young age. And I, I could see that and how his father's wounds wounded him and, and his wounds wounded me. This is something that uh, psychologists and literary people call the father wound. Uh, it has to do mostly with a father's absence. Now, for single moms, it's not really about that. It's not about the total absences of a father. The, the father wound comes from a father who is present and then is absent, and then is present and absent, or it's a father who's present, but isn't really present. He's always at work, or he's not emotionally there. He's not available. Or it's a father who's present that you wish was not present because he's so, so mean or abusive. Um, some of the effects of the father wound or you have a feeling of inadequacy, I'm unworthy, I'm undeserving. For me, it, people find this hard to believe, for me it's anger. I, I feel like everything is an attack on my competence. Uh, if you, something little, you ever get shocked by where did that come from? Why am I, where did this anger come from? It's probably, it probably has something to do with a father wound. Um, yeah, somebody asks me, can I help you? 
do I look like I need help? Am I incompetent? You know, that kind of thing. It would just be, everything's a challenge to competence. I can't afford to make a mistake. I can't afford to be wrong. I can't afford to be rejected. Or else my father's words are right. I'm an idiot. I'm a blunderer. Um, I have to sound smarter than I actually am. I actually use the word actually a lot. You know? Actually, chai tea is a redundant phrase. Uh, actually... Uh, twinkle, twinkle, little star, and the ABC song are the same tune. You know, who, who cares, you know? It's just this idea that I have to try to impress. But for, for a lot of folks with the father wound, it, it can lead to addictive behaviors. It can lead to alcoholism. It can lead to drug abuse. It can lead to uh, pornography. It can lead to identity issues, you know, sexual, gender identity issues. Uh, for wounded daughters... It can uh, lead from going from one relationship, relationship to another, trying to figure out a way to fill that hole. Are you alone in this? No, this is widespread. This is a gaping, seething wound across humanity and throughout history. Every movie, I mean, if you go back to the first movie with sound, almost every movie that's ever been made, either the protagonist or some major character is dealing with a father wound. Uh, Star Wars, Luke, I'm your father. Uh, it's an inside joke among screenwriters that every Tom Cruise movie is dealing with a father issue. Um, every, almost every DC and Marvel character has a father wound. It's just something that's, that's complete. Uh, the Lego movie, for crying out loud, that's a father wound. <laughs> it's a father wound. Um, and usually the response, pretty much always the response, my response to the father wound is sinful. I take my anger and I pass it on and it multiplies. I take my wounds and I wound my son or I wound other people who are important in my life. Now, that anger might be understandable, but it's not excusable. Now, wait a minute. How can you blame a son who tries and fails to please the one whose opinion matters the most in his life? And there's the crux of the matter. Whose opinion matters most in my life? Who do I believe? Well, Jesus said in these verses, he said, he's praying to the Father. He says, I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. What is the Father's opinion of me? There's lots of places in the scripture. Lee just went over a bunch of places in the scripture that talk about that. We sang a lot of those. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 3 and look at verse 17. Matthew chapter 3 verse 17. Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus said, I want them to know the love you have for me in them. You are my son, whom I love. You are my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, how can he be pleased with me? He sees everything. How can he be pleased? That's right. He sees everything. 
He sees this little speck of time that's your life, and he sees you from the perspective of eternity. And Paul says that this life, the sufferings of this life, are not worth comparing to the glory that shall be revealed in us. He sees you in its entirety, your whole existence. This life is a drop of water in an ocean of glory. This is your father's perspective, and he is pleased with you. If you have an absent father, we sang it, we said it over and over. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you even until the end of the age. Um, you want to know what God's feelings and thoughts are about you? Look at the cross. He will go to whatever extent it, is it takes to save you. There are parts of scripture that talk about the possibility from our perspective that, that uh, God, how Jesus can make it possible for God to become how he saved us in order that he could become our father. But from God's perspective, and we see this in Ephesians chapter 1, that he saved us because he is our father. He know, knows us before he created the world. He's on a mission to save his children. That's why he sent Jesus. And it's not done, it's not done there. You know, we are the body of Christ, and how Jesus reveals the love of the Father to us is through you and through me. The author of Hebrews says, encourage one another daily, as it is called today. Remind each other of how your father feels about you today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What is sin's deceitfulness? It's the great lie that we've heard from the very beginning in the garden. It's anything or anyone or any opinion, even your own, that disagrees with who God is and how he's revealed himself through Jesus and how he thinks and how he feels about you. So who are you going to believe? Who am I going to believe? And I'm going to try to help you believe what the Father believes about you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your love. I can't comprehend it. I'm encouraged by the people in my life, especially here. They say things, and sometimes that other voice drowns it out. No matter how kind they are, I hear the other voice. And Lord, I want to hear your voice. I want to know, and I want to stand on your opinion, your position, who you are and how you think and feel about me. And I want to be able to encourage others to do the same. Help us, Lord, to do that in each other's lives. Um, Thank you, Father, for all that you went through in order to save me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good morning. Thank you, Eric, that was beautiful. We need God to be our Father, amen. Wow, my heart is full this morning. I feel at home at everywhere I look, our friendly, familiar faces. It's just, it's just so good to be here. I can't even tell you. Um, all right, so I am not usually that good at keeping to 10-minute time limits. I've practiced this a lot. I keep hitting 10 minutes around halfway through. So headline, <laughs> we'll do headline, and then we'll get into the, the subtext, and I'll try to prove what I'm saying to you. Uh, I have needed Jesus, I have needed God to be my friend, a true, a good friend, 
someone who I can count on no matter where I am in the world, no matter what I'm doing, someone who has my back, um, a real and true friend. Uh, and for you guys, if he isn't a friend to you, if you don't have that friendship with God yet, I would urge you, become friends with him. Talk to those of us who know him. We would love to talk to you about how you can be friends with Jesus. Um, and then number two, if you're like, well, I, I know Jesus, but I don't really feel like he's that close to me. We're kind of uh, separate. Turks have this word like coos with someone. That means you, you have a beef with each other. Like you're not talking. There's like a coldness between you. If you feel coos with Jesus today, actually the scripture tells us uh, Jesus is not coos with you. He's actually right beside you and behind you. And he's right there. If you want to, you know, be, be with him, to be friends with him, he's there for you. So message over. Is that good? <laughs> All right. So those are my big headlines. But I was looking down here and I'm thinking, why do I need Jesus to be my friend? Um, I guess I have, you know, two reasons, two big reasons. One, uh, for one, people unfortunately can't be perfect friends to us. I remember I was walking with Lee's dad, Coach Younger, who's awesome, when I was graduating high school. And he says, Austin, he kind of does his tongue like that sometimes when he talks. He said, when you walk across that stage and you grab that diploma, you are walking away from all those friends you had in high school and you're not gonna see most of them ever again. Yeah, that's what he said to me. And I was like, dude, what? And, and I didn't want to believe it. Um, but unfortunately, he was right, you know? Other than some awesome friends like here at church and a few that I've gotten to stay friends with, a lot of those guys and gals kind of found their way out of my life. And college friends replaced high school friends. Then when I moved to Turkey, Turkish friends replaced college friends. And in life, Friendships come and go, but there's one friend who's been there through it all, and that's Jesus. Uh, number two, we're imperfect people, and therefore we're imperfect friends. We say things that aren't right. We're not consistent with the friends we have, and that's just on us, and then our friends are also, you know, not there. So we, we have this gap in our hearts for a friend who's there through thick and thin. So I want to look today at the really cool story um, it's John chapter 11, if you want to follow along in your Bibles. Uh, and the question is, we need this friend, but is Jesus a good friend? Is he the friend that we're looking for? So in John chapter 11, what's going on? This story was written by John. He was one of Jesus' best friends. He wants us to know about Jesus. And so he's been talking about Jesus. Jesus is a totally different person than the world has ever seen. And then we're kind of getting to the end of Jesus' story. He's going to do one more huge thing that everyone can see, and then he's going to go to Jerusalem, and we know he's going to die for the sins of the world there. Um, but before that, we have John chapter 11. So let me read to you real quick, and then we'll talk about it. So verse 1, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Uh, 
When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to the disciples, let us go back to Judea. Okay, let me read. Maybe you didn't catch that, but I just read something super weird. Look at verse six again. So when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Is Jesus a bad friend? You know, he has the power to heal. Is he just kind of like, Lazarus, hurry up and die so I can come down and save the day? Is he doing that? Well, I used to actually think so, which is kind of morbid. But if we read carefully, look down in verse 14. So then he told them plainly, his disciples, his friends, he said, Lazarus is dead. And then in verse 17, too, we learn that actually what happened was this message came up from these friends that he loved. Hey, your friend's not doing well. When that message was coming, Lazarus actually died. So it's not that Jesus was a bad friend there. It's actually that Lazarus was already dead. He wasn't getting any more dead, right? But he actually, because he loved his friends around him, he's like, let me wait because when I raise him from the dead, spoiler alert, when I raise him, no one can deny what I can do and you all can believe in me. It's, it's actually really cool. So for one, even if it looks like Jesus is doing something, he's not being a good friend, he actually has a plan and you can trust his plan. All right, I don't know how I'm doing on time, but I'm gonna boogie down. So Jesus goes, he talks to Martha, he talks to Mary, and actually you have this scene, I'm not gonna read it to you, but uh, it's really dramatic and really emotional. We can kind of sterilize scripture, but can you imagine this dude died, the, his sister, Mary, who's a friend of Jesus, is saying in front of all these people, you could have saved him. And, and it's so emotional, they're crying. And what did Jesus do? Sometimes we kind of think like, Jesus is up here, he's kind of coaching us, but he's not affected by what's happening in our lives. But what does the text say? Um, he, said, he asked them, where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. He, Jesus wept. We get distracted by that because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. So we're like, oh, look. But he's, imagine, Jesus is crying. He knows what he's going to do. He has the power to raise this man from the dead. And yet he still weeps. So Jesus is a friend we can trust. He's also a friend who understands us and weeps for us. He feels our pain in this life. All right, last, last thing. Another thing going on in this whole thing is they say over and over, his disciples are like, don't go. Jesus, if you go down there to where Lazarus is, to this town, Bethany, near Jerusalem, the Jews are gonna kill you. It's like a recurring theme in this text. You should definitely read it. Um, in verse eight, they say, hey, they're gonna stone you. Like they're gonna throw rocks at you until you die, Jesus, if you go. Um, 
over and over they're saying this sort of stuff. Um, but you know what? Jesus goes anyway. Uh, and we know if you read the text afterwards, the Jewish leaders see what happens to Lazarus and they plan together to kill Jesus. They make that plan after this. So it does actually result in his death. So my third thing, Jesus is the kind of friend who dies for his friend. So to wrap this all up and package it up, um, one week later, Jesus did die for his friends, not just for those friends, but so that he can call you and me his friends too. Um, this morning, if you need a true and good friend, Jesus is patiently waiting for you. If you feel far from him, he's not far from you. Just turn your face for him, to, towards him, seek him. He's always there and eager to hold you. Uh, I need Jesus to be my friend, and he promises to be a friend to you too. Amen. All right, thank you. Absolutely. I'm going to pray and we're going to do another song. Dear Lord, you have promised in your word from the beginning to the end that you want to be our friend, that you want to walk through this life beside us, um, that you're not some God up in the clouds kind of looking down on us, but you're actually walking beside us in this life. Help us to know that and believe that and accept that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Good morning. All right, I'm going to read this question one more time for you. What is something true about Jesus that you personally have needed to be true? And show me from the scriptures that it's true about him for me too. All right, in my life, things sail pretty smoothly as long as I have something to look forward to. For instance, I'm not a morning person, but I have found I can get myself out of bed if I promise myself a nap later in the day. <laughs> Sometimes I go so far as to wear my glasses instead of my contacts to ensure easier future napping. The hope of a nap is often the only thing fueling me as I drive my kids to work in the morning. I mean to school. They don't work. <laughs> I do this not just in my days, but also in my weeks. I intentionally schedule happy things that I can look forward to. Sure, on a Monday morning, I'm standing over this sink piled this high with dishes, but I know that on Wednesday night, I'm going to climb into the Penley's treehouse and hang out with a bunch of my girlfriends for a couple of hours. It gives me hope for the future in a small but significant way. This concept is true in bigger areas of my life, too. As many of you know, I've had some pretty horrible mental breakdowns in my adulthood. After they've passed, it's my habit to reflect on them so that I can learn to try to never let them happen again. And what I've noticed is that there's a common thread running through all of these experiences, and that is despair. Whenever I let go of hope and exchange it for despair, I have always struggled and suffered. It's just how I'm wired. And because of that, I have found that I need, I mean, 
need Jesus to be the kind of guy and the kind of God who offers hope. David says in Psalm 31, verse 24, Be strong and let your heart be courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. Jesus is someone you can hope in. Earlier in that psalm, David also says, The course of my life is in your power. And what I love about Jesus is that not only is the course of my life in his power, but he also cares how I feel about that. He's not content to sit on his throne on high and direct my paths from a distance. No, he comes down into my heart and whispers promises into my ear that give me hope. He gives me little glimpses of what he's doing so that I don't despair. He'll do this for you too. What kindness, what love. He's just that kind of guy. Now, there are three main areas that Jesus offers hope in my life in particular. The first is in my friendships. James says in chapter five of his letter, pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. There was a time in my 20s when I was so overwhelmed by loss and trouble that I decided to pretend that God wasn't real. I had never tried that before and I thought it might work. It didn't. And one of the things I remember most about that time is how I felt like such a bad friend. When people in my life went through something hard, I had previously always brought that to God and asked him to care for them. But I couldn't do that anymore. I felt helpless when it came to my friends. But the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And now, walking alongside Jesus and lifting up my friends to him as I go, I have such great hope for them. Jesus offers the same hope to you, too. He's just that kind of guy. Secondly, Jesus offers hope for who I am becoming. Paul tells us in chapter 1, you all know this one. It's in Philippians. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you ever look back at a thing that you've just said or done and think, what is wrong with me? <laughs> I know I do. I make mistakes, make poor choices, say the wrong thing all the time. It's pretty ridiculous. But when I really reflect and compare my past and my present, I can see some growth. I'm not there yet, but Jesus wants me to know that he's working on it. And no matter how many times I mess up, he's not quitting on me. And friends, he's not quitting on you either. He's just that kind of guy. Lastly, and this one's my personal favorite, Jesus gives me hope for what I'm worth and where I'm headed because of that. In one of the darkest times in my life, I just felt so worthless. I said it over and over again in my head. Worthless, worthless, worthless. 
But what I was forgetting is that there's more to me than meets the eye. And there's more life in me than the life you see me living each day. The same is true for you if you've accepted the gift that God offers. In reality, your story is an old, old story. Long ago, before God formed the worlds with a word, he fell inextricably in love with you. He fell so in love that heaven just wasn't heaven for him without you there. You ran from him and you defied his love. But he never would stop loving you. You were so far gone that you couldn't have come back on your own if you'd wanted to. But he couldn't rest until you were his once again. So he formed a plan. He was king above all kings. And he left his throne for you. He condescended to make himself into a man and came down to earth where he proclaimed his love for you. In heaven, he enjoyed the constant praises of the angels. On earth, he endured the ridicule of men for you. No sacrifice was too great in his eyes if he could just have you back. He claimed your sin as his own and died a criminal's disgraceful death for you. But the power of death was no match for your great rescuer. And once your penalty had been paid, he brought himself back to life to be with you. And now his love lives in your very heart. And you are simply biding your time here until you can be reunited with him in eternity. If you can really grasp this, I mean take hold of it and claim it as your own reality, then because what is impossible with man is possible with God, the impossible will happen. You'll have hope in the midst of this dark world. Jesus offers us this hope. He's just that kind of guy. He's just that kind of God. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the hope you offer us in prayer, in our own becoming, and in our future with you. You know just what we need, and you joyfully provide it every time. You're a great God, and you're our great friend. We love you so much. Amen. You reached down for me. You took hold of me. Lord, you rescued me from my enemy. You reached down for me. You took hold of me. Lord, you rescued me from my enemy. From under deep waters when I was too weak in the day of disaster.
didn't mean you loved me when I was your enemy.